Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to lead us in a scripture reading and a prayer. Well, I thought an appropriate scripture would be chapter 2 of Acts, uh, verses 1 through, five, uh, 1 through 4. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Gracious Lord, we do ask you to please send down your Holy Spirit on us today as we produce and speak into this program. Send down the Holy Spirit on those who listen, that uh, your movements and your grace might flow between us, uh, among us, uh, for your good and for your glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Nagel. So we have a very extensive outline we're going to go through today on the program. (laughs) Father Lewis is nodding his head vigorously. Yes, he is excited. Last time, uh, last last week when we um, did the program, Father Lewis, you, uh, I brought you through calamity. Do you remember uh, that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, quite a thing. So, you missed it. You missed a calamity. What so, happened? Yeah. <laughs> no, I asked him. I said, uh, "Are we in the midst of calamity, or is calamity coming?" Oh. So, and then we just kind of took off from there. Wow. It was so, a very happy episode. Yes, it was. <laughs> we we talked a lot about that. So. So, Father Nagel, today with you in the room, we're going to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Uh, We're recording this program on the traditional feast day of the Ascension. Uh, I've got a couple of opening salvos for you good fathers. uh, When I was studying theology at the Gregorian, we had a course on faith, hope, and love. So, uh, and he asked the question, which of these three virtues is primary? Which of these three? faith, hope, or love, and why? So there's my, there's my opening question for you all, because these are infused gifts of the Holy Spirit that come to us at baptism, and really they function as the ways in which we relate to God. We are relating to God one of those three ways, if not more than one of those three ways. You cannot relate to God other than through believing in Him, hoping in Him, and loving Him, right? Think of another way of relating to God. It'll always be through one of those channels. But which is primary? Now, you did, I did that long wind-up to give you a chance to, to come up with an answer. And since, Father Nagel, I see the, the deer-in-the-headlights look that Father Lewis has, I'm going to throw it to you first and just say, which of these three is primary and why? And I'm going to tell you what my professor said. You're going to love the answer. I guess I throw something back at you in all sorts of ways. But um, what do you mean by primary? Uh, in terms is are you talking about... So I, we hear, you know, in First Corinthians that the greatest of these is love. Um, is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about somehow in terms of the action within the human soul as it develops? Or so the, the question of which is primary. Oh, do you like what he just did? Do, yeah. do you like the way Father Nagel just handled that? It's just like he's playing tennis. He just slapped it right back at Right back at, back me at you, you know. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you the answer the professor said, and then that'll give you, there is no wrong answer. And he said, in a certain way, each of these virtues, each of these theological virtues, um, has a primacy um, among the three. And if you, it depends on like the entry point that you're going to mm. take in, in answering the question. If you enter the question at this place of the life of faith, then this one has primary, and here's why. And then the other two will follow after that. But if you start at this other place, then this other one will have a primacy. So there really is no wrong answer here. It's a matter of well, what aspect of the spiritual life are we talking about? Mm. So with that as the, there is no wrong answer, but in, can you see how, for instance, you said, well, love, of course, that's an easy one to say. Love is primary because it's what endures, is probably what you were going to say, Father. Uh-huh. And if you want to continue with that, you go right ahead. Uh, and then we'll let, <laughs> I'll let Father Lewis pick up on the, the second of the three that he'll want to say, well, I can see how this one would be primary, and here's why. Well, I'm not sure I would say that. I, I, if you had just, just said it out without me trying to th- throw it back at you, 
I would always be, I think I would be thinking about conversion. Um, and, and I guess if, it, okay, I would probably would have gone through faith or love, but if, if you were saying, okay, go, go through love, continue on with what you started, I guess I would say we have this experience of love and that's an experience of God somehow that can bring us to faith. And, and, and really, if you're talking about hope, uh, what we do hope for is love. Um, that, you know, again, we may not be able to articulate that very well. That's where the faith would come in, in terms of who love really is. Um, but I, I always think in terms of our own, well, these days, I always think in terms of our own culture, which is very secularized and is really post-faith, post-Christian, how do, how do we reach people? And I think those, all three of those are ways, but I think love is a way that's, um, I mean, hope would be pretty good too, in terms of just the, just the uninitiated and the secular, non-religious person. By the way, you do realize you're giving us all three answers now, all right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I would do it. <laughs> right. Well, isn't it funny? It shows how like they're interrelated. It's mm-hmm. almost like a three-faceted diamond, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, depending on what's a, a pyramid. It's like a. Is a pyramid have th- more than three sides? Yeah, it does. It's it has four. at least a four. It has a bottom. Five. Yeah, five with the bottom. Five. One Depends on how many. On each of the four sides, and you can do that's a three. A box. No, you can. Come to a point. No, think about the Egyptian pyramids. They're four sided, but you could also do a three sided pyramid with the base. With the base. Yeah, the base okay, would be a square and a four sided. <laughs> we slipped into geometry conversations. I know this is. I was helping my daughter with geometry last night. <laughs> the, the, yeah, okay. So, uh, so if I just let's start. Let's focus on love. Let's focus on love, <laughs> and then we'll go from there, and we'll talk about faith, and then hope. Because I think hope is the most difficult right. to um, say is primary. And that was the one that he ended with, the, the professor. Uh, he started with love, and then it, and that one was kind of easy because you begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So what is there a, a uh, something in particular that makes you, Father Lewis, say, yeah, love must be first in our minds, first in our concerns, first in how it is we're going to live our life of faith? Well, I was thinking love would be the primary... Mostly because what came to mind was the passage from First John, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but God has loved us. So God is love and is the one who initiates the encounter, even if we don't perceive it um, <clears throat> immediately. And so love is primary because it was there first. And then if we're going to pursue any kind of relationship, it's uh, even if we don't quite have the exercise of love yet in return, we have the capacity for it and the desire to be loved and therefore to love. And so, um, and so anyway, it's, that, it's reciprocal. God initiates it, but it's our desire to be loved that wants us to follow through. And that might go through the portal of faith or hope first before love fully flourishes. But love is like a driving force in terms of our response. Like, why would we respond unless love, which is the end, is, is, going, to be, is going to be the end? We're going to realize that end. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's that whole idea that we come from God and we head back to God. Yeah. And mm. if God is love... I, I love Van Balthazar's statement that to be, to exist, is to be addressed by God in love. Mm-hmm. So the very act of existing here and now means that the personal God is personally gazing upon you, looking upon you, beholding you, and in fact, pouring forth love towards you. He is loving you in this instant of your being. And so whatever else is true about our lives, to be is to be addressed by God in love. And then he goes on, in Christ. And he goes even further, in Christ crucified. So it's the crucified, it's the manifestation of God's love through the crucifixion of Christ that shows the extent of how deeply, profoundly, immensely we are loved by God. And and then the question becomes, how do we live our lives out of that, not just thought, out of that idea but out of that encounter, you know, to, and I think I find that to be very, very encouraging if we're going to evangelize, mm-hmm. to be able to, to go to people and to say to them that right now you are being addressed by God in love, in Christ. And so I'm going to encourage you to turn to God, not as someone who deserves it or earns it or figured it out or know the formula or somehow gained access to it. No, no, you are loved right now. Open yourself. And even if you don't know how to open yourself, just say, God, please open me. I don't even know how to do it. Open me to the experience of your loving me right now in a personal way. I am desperate for that. 
So that for me is a way of saying that it is it's primary that it it is it can be primary also in our own in encounter or our own experience of the reality of faith is that God is loving me and let me come to the gift of realizing that and then everything else will flow from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Father Nagel, anything you want to build off of that? Because I'm thinking of a famous quote by the patron saint of diocesan priests who had something to say about the importance of love in living life. Do you know what I'm talking about, Father Newis? I don't know the quote. St. John Vianney, yeah. right? In the evening of life, we will be judged on love. Oh, wow. In the evening of life, we'll be judged. You don't know that one? I don't think I do. Uh, oh, that's kind of a... Father Father Nagel knew that one. He's kind uh, of flexing over there. He's like, yeah, I knew that one. Well, th- Did you know that one, Father Nagel? I thought it was drawn the cross, right? Oh, Ah. That, uh, I just got exposed. Oh. I just got exposed. That well, I'm, is right. a, I'm, a, just... I'm a, a, a John the Cross and Teresa Avila guy. So I, you are absolutely I... right. It is not John Vianney, but it's a John. It's a Saint yep. John who was a priest. Yes. <laughs> In go. the evening of life, we'll be judged on love. What does that mean, Father Nagel? I was first coming back to what you were just saying. It, it, spoke, it spoke to me about something that I teach as just a little spiritual practice that plugged into what you were saying is I think you can always make your prayers it builds off the the reality you just articulated so well that you can always ask God how are you loving me right now Um, and because that'll that'll open us to the experience of what our our, it comes from the faith that God we are being loved at this moment Um, so it's, it's coming from faith in that but it also allows us to recognize that God is present here loving us in whatever experience that we have. And, and wherever we're at, there's a way in which God's love is being poured out into us. We are receptacles of that love. But we have to recognize it and be grateful for it. And, and we have to, again, ask that question, Lord, how are you loving me right now? Um, so I just wanted to say, boy, that, that helped me, what you just said, in terms of how to articulate this little practice and better articulate it. That being said, could you repeat your question? <laughs> Well, let's stay with that because I think of adoration. Right. How are you loving me right now? You know, I uh, when I encourage folks, and it's something I've said to Carrie for years, it's like, what's the solution here? And it's let God love you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I let God love me? Go to adoration and just say to the Lord, please, just let your love wash over me. Let your love wash over me. When I bring my kids to adoration, we, you know, for that that was one of our standard practices for years, all the kids pouring into the adoration chapel and... They weren't all running gleefully in there saying, I can't wait for some personal contemplative time. I would just kneel in the back and I would just say, Lord, just wash over them with love. Wash over them with love. I got him here. I got him here. Now it's up to you. You're present here in a physical way. Please wash over them with love. Wash over. No, it'll sink in. It'll soak in. It'll permeate. It'll get through closed doors. Right? That that reality is is just transformative. Yeah. yeah. I. I think that you could even. That's, I think that's, it's a beautiful thing to say, and I think to get kids or other, or actually adults, all of us actually to to get that idea of it. That adoration doesn't have to be super complicated, and that idea of we're being washed over by love. I think you know we enjoy the physical experience of like sitting in the sun. Uh, some people like or sun worshippers. They like to just feel the sun on them. They don't have to do anything else. They're just sitting there and the sun hit them. Some people enjoy walking out and taking a walk in a breeze, just the idea of wind going over them and by them and experiencing that. And just say, okay, let's, let's go deeper in this and say the same thing in, in very different spiritual terms is, is happening when we're in adoration. You don't have to do anything other than just enjoy the fact that you're being loved by God and let that wash over you. So I do think that's a great way that I'm going to use to talk about adoration as well. That I think that that is because I think people, what do I do? I must have to accomplish something. I must have to meditate in a certain technique as opposed to simply, Jesus is here, I'm here, and he's loving me. Let me just experience that. But Lewis? Well, <clears throat> being submissive to the Lord and letting him love us, you know, there's a friend of mine who has this phrase where we try to overdo things or we think that we have to, everything's going to live and die by our efforts. And he says, let God do the heavy lifting. If we just present our ourselves, our problems, our families, whatever it is that we want to bring to the Lord, and uh, and then just say, you know, you know, take it from here, Lord. Um, that's letting God do the heavy lifting, and God wants to do that. God did do the heavy lifting. He carried the cross, and he he bore it. So he he's done that. He continues to do that, 
And um, and if we he he wants to do that, so if we let him do that, that's a gesture of love we can make to him, just a complete submission and docility to to his strength and to and to his will. And um, and adoration is great for that because you know if we if we overdo adoration, like okay, I have to have like a very programmed way of approaching this time of prayer. Um, you know, where where it's just another very high, a pious and holy manner of saying, "I got this, Lord," and um, just kind of watch me do what I do. Or we can let God do the heavy lifting and just present ourselves before the Lord and, and ask for the grace to be open to receive. Yeah. And, and even that is a gift, right? Mm-hmm. The gift of, Lord, you have to open me to receive. That's a John of the Cross idea, not a St. John Vianney idea. Yeah. Uh, that even the act of disposing ourselves to receive God's grace is a grace from God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that... Um, we have to, we should remember we should keep in mind when it comes to people who are far from god or struggling with their faith and have found themselves in um spiritual darkness that the idea of a movement towards god is not what is uh, alive in them mm. right if if the life of grace is dead in them if they're in mortal sin then a sense for god uh the enlightenment of conscience, these are not things that they can make happen. It's pure mercy. Mm-hmm. It's pure the, the grace that is not deserved that breaks into those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So the idea of saying, look, just out of raw factual determination, get into that church, mm-hmm. right? And then you've got to let God take over. Yeah. All right, well, we are up against our first break, and we have started to talk about love. Well, love at the beginning. We haven't even talked about love as the end, Um, but we've got plenty of time left, even though this is question one out of like seven I have for you, good fathers. We'll see what we can do. Today on the program, this is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Lewis and Father Nagel. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Today we are talking about well, faith, hope, and love in these days leading up to Pentecost. These are days of a novena to the Holy Spirit. We're going to get there. We are <laughs> going to get there. Uh, and we want to get to heaven eventually. And heaven is about love, right? Faith and hope don't exist in heaven, right? In the end uh, of, of these three, only one endures, and that's love. And love is about union with God. And I, I think that John of the Cross's profound statement, you know, in the end of our life will be judged on love is so very important. Um, why do you think it's important, Father Lewis? I think I said I think it's important. I hope you think it's important. I, I think it is. I mean, um, you know, love love is our that's that's the metric of our of, of of any relationship. And God is eternal. Us being with God forever in heaven, that's an eternal relationship. And so, uh, judged on the basis of this is this is what this is what this community is about. It's about love. So, um, just being in community with one another and and. And do you belong here? Because you know this is the standards by which you you live here. It's sort of like the, it's heaven's HOA program. This is the the one rule of of heaven's HOA is is love. And if if you've demonstrated that, I've never heard that before. That's kind of clever. It, well, <laughs> might be a little sacrilegious, so uh, <laughs> don't go with it. But uh, in any event, you know if 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 we were we are entrusted with little things here on earth, little little opportunities to respond with love, and uh, and Jesus says those who can be trusted with little will be entrusted with great matters, and that great thing is heaven. But if we can't be trusted with little matters, we we can't be trusted with with great ones either. And um, and so that you know that makes sense to me that we, yeah we'll be judged by we'll be judged by the by the criteria of love. And again, God is love, so God is is the judge. And um, how perfectly in conformity are we with God, in whose image and likeness we were originally made? But how badly did we deform ourselves? Willfully so and remain so. Um, that's that's where we have failed to love or chose to love um, in ways that aren't actually love. So yeah, those are the metrics by which we judged. Yeah, Brother Nagel. Yeah, I I think that yeah in the 
in the evening of life will be judged by love is just you know, God is love. It, it's it's the basic reality. Um, it's the basic. You know, you know, the whole universe is simply a uh, an echo and a a shadow of, of of the Trinity who creates us. And so, if we want to be with God who is love, then that's all that's really real and good. And so, I don't. I don't. I think it's a good reminder. Now, I could be I could be wrong because I, I maybe just assuming sort of a Christian society or a basis of it, and I don't have a lot of experience other than this post-Christian society, and there may even be remnants of that here, but I don't think that that saying it would be shocking to us. I don't think we'd be do it. We wouldn't think about it. Most of us. I, I mean, I'm just talking about modern Western culture and things. I think, but I think they say, "Oh yeah, that sounds good. It sounds nice and pious, or not even pious, but it just sounds like yeah." That's I think I think atheists could probably buy into that at some level of not really understanding exactly what's going on, but but say it because I do think this idea of it's really all there is. Um, it's the only it's it's alone it will endure, but really it's 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 all there is, and whatever isn't based on this and going towards it and from it or coming from it, it's of no value. Um, so, yeah, I just, it's, it's super powerful to meditate on even. So, you know, if, if I'm going to be judged right now, uh, if this is the end of my life, how, how am I loving people? And to what extent am I cooperating with the, the Holy Trinity? So, again, I think it's a, a beautiful statement of reality. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, there's that idea, Stephen Covey didn't make it up, but begin with the end in mind. It's Aquinas. He talks about intentionality. You know, you tend towards a goal, and if our goal is love, and in the end we're going to be judged on love, then here's a. uh, I'm going to break it open this way. What you said, Father Nagel, and building off what you said, Father Lewis, only love matters Mm -hmm. today, and that's really hard today, because it feels like what matters is wealth, uh, esteem of others. Uh, being in great shape, um, the you know the the having stuff, um, uh, you know the 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 phrases up and to the right, right? Like I want to more, better, bigger, you know, fame, power, wealth, right? All of that. It is really really hard in the concreteness of day to day living not to let these other goals intrude divide and diminish the focus on how am I loving right now? How am I loving right now? And in loving meaning, how am I pouring myself out? What am I giving myself over to? What am I making the object of my attention and concern? What am I emptying myself out even sacrificially for? And am I doing that or am I choosing personal comfort? Am I choosing passivity when love would require compassion? Right? That, that's where the idea of in the end will be judged on love drags itself down to the present. I who have been loved so greatly and consistently pers- you know, forever, am, am I responding with love? Am I giving myself back to the Lord in love? That, that, that's the, one of the facets of, of that statement and why it's so powerful to me is it is a constant demand to love here and now in the midst of crazy, busy situations that are easy to divide the focus. Mm-hmm. I guess that... Well, and what kind of love are we talking about, too? That's why it's even more difficult. If the highest form of love, agape, is that self-sacrificial, self-emptying love, and um, God has the infinite capacity for that, and we strive for that with God's grace... But you know, if I tried that all the time, you know, and and didn't go back to the source to be renewed in that love, that's why I need a strong, regular prayer life and sacramental life. Um, I'm going to burn out quickly because I'm constantly emptying myself and not being filled. Um, and that that's the highest form of love. It's hard enough just to love someone with the holy eros or holy philia, um, and then to to love as Christ loved. You know, we're we're upping the ante here. Um, and uh, that's so difficult in the here and now, in addition to all the obstacles to that. Um, and the only answer to that is we've got to stay close to Christ because he is the 
he, especially in the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. He fills us and he empowers us with his grace to proceed and to keep and to keep at it. I just think, Tom, what you just said um, is so true that in the abstract, it sounds pretty good. Um, we'll be judged by love. And I actually think well, that's a pretty good deal because, you know, love is being nice to each other. And I think God would be nice to me. I, I certainly feel nice to him. And so that sounds like, you know, who's going to flunk that test? It's about love, right? So who's going to be so unloving as to flunk me? That would be, it's an exaggeration, but I think in the abstract, it sounds fine. But when you come down, okay, now today, uh, you know, 15 minutes from now, this person's going to be in your life. And what do you, there's going to be a possibility of loving this person in some really inconvenient way um, or, or painful way or sacrificial way. Can I do that? Um, not not just the idea of it, but can I actually live out the idea concretely, uh, you know, again, in 15 minutes or tomorrow? And so I think that's where the, as you say, that's the, the where the, the real difficulty comes. I don't know who where I read it or heard it, but it's like a love after the manner of Christ always involves dying to self, and no one likes to die to self. Yeah. Right? We're never going to enjoy dying to self. It's a difficult good. Right to to use the scholastic Thomistic phrase, right? The bonum arduum, the difficult good. It's good, so we're drawn to it, but it's difficult, so we're repulsed by it. Yeah. And so we have to find the energy to um, follow the the goodness of the good to make us push through to it, even when we have that repulsion towards it because it's actually difficult. I, um, do you know the virtue he says is used to repulse, uh, to overcome the difficulty of the of the good? I would guess fortitude. It's a um, it's kind of a subset okay. of that magnanimity. Okay. Mm. Yeah, the magnanimous one. Uh, he actually says that humility is something that says I I'm I'm going to not be deterred from it because it is. Not some, it's something that is repulsive to me. I'm humble enough to not say I'm going to turn away from it. But magnanimity is the virtue that gets me to press through okay. and say I'm going to press on because it's worthy, it's noble, it should be. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think... Our, go ahead, Father. Do we have a break? No, 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 we're good. I was just thinking, the only, you know, it's true that we don't like to die to self until... I think we have um, enough, our, Jesus is enough taken over our lives that it's his acting and his choices in us through making these choices. So for saints, it is actually something very attractive to die to self. To me, it's not that way because I'm mostly operating out of my own fallen self as opposed to this communion that comes from this infused in contemplation that's the part of the prayer is the whole purpose of the prayer life and the sacramental life of the faith life is to allow myself to be so connected with Christ that in fact then his love who that's who he is that's acting so powerfully in me that, that it's the driver as opposed to my fallen self so I do think that there's you know there's that hope thinking you know it's not it for me yes it's impossible for God no so let's let God in um, let him take over Amen. It's a great point, and it's, uh, I completely agree with that, that yes, it is. Uh, it's like, I guess it's, it's learning the, the, the discipline of discipleship, learning the discipline of dying to self for God's sake, with God's power, and um, on behalf of Christ, right? That Christ is alive in me, mm -hmm. calling me to die to self. That um, we learn the joy that comes from going through the cross, so yes, I thank you, Father. That that's a that's a great um, compliment to what I what I was sharing. Um, okay, today on Sound Insight, this is Tom Kern with Father Jeff Lewis, Father Kurt Nagel. We're talking about well to start these three theological virtues, these infused v gifts of the Holy Spirit at baptism, um, faith, hope, and love, and they're uh, and they're also connected to confirmation as well, the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is the power of God in us to actually do the things we're talking about. All right, so we've talked about love. Where do we want to go next? Do you want to go next? Father Father Lewis, you got a choice here. You want to go to faith or hope? I like to tackle hope. Hope. Yeah. Nice. The hardest one. I Let's thinking, go. Yeah, I was thinking hope. Magnanimous. I was thinking hope when you first presented it because um, what is the primary virtue? That's where the conversation began. And I can see where a lot of people, maybe even like in our day and age, where hope might be the point of entry 
because as the world continues to manifest itself as being um, empty of promise, it uh, makes a lot of promises but but can't possibly fulfill them. I mean, how much, um, you know, what's the colloquial term, deaths of despair, do we see going on? Uh, people drinking themselves to death, overdosing, um, suicide. Well, those are, those are the physical uh, end result of someone who spiritually has uh, lost despair. And so maybe hope <clears throat> is the entry point because I don't know what you believe. I don't know why you believe it. So the faith and the love... But there's got to be something here because I'm not finding anything anywhere else. And so there's a hope there that might lead to a, a curiosity that can, that can be, uh, you know, be the fuel to introduce, them to introduce this person to something more. But I think, it, you know, for a lot of folks, it could be that that could be the entry point is, is hope because they're just, they're not being fulfilled anywhere else and they don't know where else to go. And so they're feeling hopeless, but they have a drive that this can't be, this can't be all there is. And uh, that could be a good evangelical tools because I know what will fulfill you that nothing else has been able to provide and let me show you. And so you've kind of piqued an interest and, and because hope might be, it might be what they were clinging on to still, that's what fuels their response. Nice. Father Nagel. Yeah, I, I was thinking sort of the same thing. In terms of evangelical entry points, that, that idea is, uh, isn't there something more than this? Isn't my life meant for something more? I do think that's an attractive opening because I think lots of people, if they haven't asked the question, they haven't articulated it completely, I think they, they see it. But even the idea of, I would agree that suicides, these deaths of despairs are a lack of hope. And so the fact, why, why am I still here? Why do I continue to live? I must, again, there must be something that I'm hoping for. And can I articulate that? And, and we can come up with all sorts of worldly reasons, right? Even it could be something that is good in itself. Well, I'm, I'm still here because my kids need me or my spouse needs me or something like that. But to go down deeper with them and then say, what you're really looking for eventually is this love over here. Um, that, and we're going to tell you who, and who this really is and this faith is going to be part of this. Um, but I, I do think there's opportunities here today for that idea of hope uh, because I agree with Father Lewis, it's, it's, it seems to me that this is uh, a, an age and a society that's losing hope in that way. Even the, the idea that we don't have as many kids, we're not going to have children, that's a sign of hopelessness, or at least this idea of, I'm not looking forward, I'm not looking to the future because I don't have hope in the future. Yeah, it's um, uh, great. These are great reflections. When I think about um, hope in contrast with love, there would be a lot of these folks that you're talking about, uh, both of you fathers, that are uh, if one way of talking about hope, Aquinas. Hope is uh, when you lack hope, you feel stuck. There's no way out. There's no way forward. There is no better future. Ah, there's the other word, future. So that hope is connected to I have a way out of the stuck, dark, broken place I'm in. And there's a movement, hope is a movement towards and confidence that I can get out and beyond the stuck place mm -hmm. to this preferred future. So that's hope. And um, uh, to say to people who are just stuck, oh, God is always loving you. God's loving you right now. The experience of your life right now to exist is to be addressed by God in love. And that person's response would be, God really stinks. Mm -hmm. if, if, this, if you're telling me that I'm loved by God right now in this circumstance, well, I don't like that God because there are many things I can say about this circumstance, situation, and life reality that I'm in. It is not that I'm feeling loved. It is I'm feeling stuck, broken, dark, and there's no way out and no way forward. So leading with hope is, I think, powerful um, for folks today who have no sense that there's a better future for them. So they are in despair. So uh, the question becomes, how do we help foster hope for people who have a sense of hopelessness? Mm -hmm. That, I think, is one of the, the, uh, the big challenges. Um, and I think I would say one of, the, um, one of the sources of insight comes from, um, believe it or not, um, liberation theologians. Well, that's all the time we have here today, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is I'm now I'm now dating myself here, Father Lewis. But in the '80s, 
there was uh, actually it was in the late sixties into the seventies. There was uh, the emphasis on hope emerged out of South America. I don't know if you re- do you remember this, Father Nagel? I uh, yes. Johann Johannes Baptist Metz and yes, yeah. these other Gutierrez. Gutierrez, Gustavo Gutierrez, these other liberation theologians, their big concept was liberation, freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from slavery, freedom from bondage. So they led with hope. So the the concept was how do you how do you bring hope to those who are hopeless? And one of their biggest, biggest concepts was Compassion, solidarity, being with those who are in broken, dark, stuck places, being with them. And so that idea of radical solidarity, radical suffering with or compassion is a way of identifying Jesus. Jesus is not the God who's ascended at the right hand of the Father in power and has just simply look down upon us, but he is God with us. He is Emmanuel, and he is right in the midst of us in our brokenness, darkness, et cetera, et cetera. And we will manifest that by being with the broken at their point of brokenness. And that will be the way to give them a sense of you're not alone, isolated. That's one of the fruits of despair is that I'm cut off radically from others. So there's a very long-winded answer to how hope, well, how do you actually bring hope to others? Well, by going and being with others at a place of suffering and solidarity with them. Yeah, that that makes sense. And that solidarity is a key piece. And how much more powerful and effective that would be if the person offering that hope <clears throat> was someone who can definitely have uh, commiserate because they were in that place before. So they they got there coming back to help this person from the other side of that darkness and and say i've i've been there where you are now i've been through the healing and it's great on the other side you know like when i'm going through seminary um the dark times of formation seminary wouldn't do much good <laughs> i know not they that's were, a great <laughs> they do were not, few do not let the bishop do not let father barnett do, yeah. not, let, do not let them hear that father rot uh, to they don't want to hear this i know well they're few and you far just, between you just there talked we go. about being in the depths of <laughs> the prison, helpless prison in the seminary. Uh, so well, that's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> we can edit that later, but <laughs> it wouldn't do me any good to try to to commiserate or have commiserate with me. My my parents. I mean, they're gonna right. love me, but they. It's not the same kind of solidarity. It. Yeah. But if I talk to those priests who I trust that they went through it, and and they're on the other side, and they can even help me put in perspective, they might laugh at it like, okay, that's no big deal. You know, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to really speak a lot to me and and enhance my hope, hope and strengthen it. So, um, yeah, solidarity. Is, yeah, I can say how that's a huge piece of this. And we're going to get Father Nagel's answer in just one minute. We're up against a break on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Nagel and Father Lewis, and we're talking about hope right now. And Father Lewis was just sharing about solidarity and being with people at the place of darkness in their lives. Father, Father Nagel. I guess listening to all that is, and it's, it was beautiful. I, but I think, for me, it just underlined, hey, you know what this is? This is just the charisma. Um, we just have to remember that we have to preach the story of the beauty of our creation, but then also the fact that we're fallen, that we are now enslaved by the devil in the kingdom of death and sin, and that we have someone who has come into our cell with a key, who has led us out and died for that. And that there's, we are connected with that risen, glorified Christ as well, and that's where we're going. But right now, you, you right now you're in this part of the charisma here. You've experienced this, and as Father Lewis said, it's powerful to have somebody who preaches it and says, "This is the whole story," and I, and I can also uh, witness to and proclaim the way in which my messed up life has been changed by Christ, and so I have been liberated. And so that solidarity, but it, again, it, sometimes we forget, this is just the basic charisma. This is why we preached it. This is, this is the, something everybody has to know because it does reach all of these different experiences um, of the human condition. So, Father Nagel, this brings me to sort of your love for the uh, tradition from St. Uh, John of the Cross and, and St. Teresa of Avila that, 
you know, the word of God carves out a space in us. Mm -hmm. We become the word that we take in through prayer. And it, there's a way in which priests, uh, you become this Paschal mystery. You celebrate the mass every day. You pray mm -hmm. the liturgy of the hours. And if you become the words you pray, mm. especially at the mass, then it will, it will find an echo, a resonance in anyone's life right, in everyone's life, that there is nothing that they will experience that is foreign to you. If you allow the word of God that you proclaim and celebrate to become you, right, that's sort of the ideal. Mm -hmm. I think that's the ideal of ordination, that you become what you celebrate. And in doing that, anyone can find a home. So I, I'm going to broaden to the to the full extent, that concept of proclaiming the kerygma to you demonstrate, you live the kerygma as priests. You might, yes. And I always forget this. I can't, I, is, Father Lewis or, or Tom, do you remember, can you articulate what the bishop says to the priest as he puts the chalice and patent in his hand at ordination? Um, it's, you probably, I guess you don't know what it is either, but it's, it's basically saying what you just said, Tom. Um, and I always forget it. It's, it's about become what we proclaim and pre preach what you teach. Like, and I forget what like it is. Preach what you believe. Uh, practice uh, what you preach. Practice what you preach. And, and there's kind of a flow to that. And yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't have brought it up. I thought maybe you guys had it at the tip of your tongue. But it no, is no, basically it, making it, that point. Well, and, and you know where I got that spirituality was from the ritual of candidacy. Mm. Mm -hmm. The candidate. Uh, and it's that, uh, are you resolved? Are mm. you resolved, right. right? And so there are like, what, four are you resolves at ordination? Yeah. Yes. And it's that fourth one that says, I, uh, I am with the help of God. Yeah. It's like, are you resolved to conform your life to Christ crucified and to give your life blah, blah, blah? You know, it's, not, it's more profound than blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I am with the help of God. I remember just, I would pray through that again and again and again. Um, as part of my own sort of spirituality of the priesthood was go to the ritual, go to the ritual. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't remember what it was though exactly. So, okay. see the impact it had on me? <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, that was like almost... That I, was I've like, heard it 27 or 8 times. And I, every <laughs> time I said, oh, that's beautiful. Now, what was that again? Because <laughs> they build on each other. It's kind of tricky. Yeah, it just kind of floats out there <laughs> in, the, in the future. Okay, so uh, there's a primacy to love. There's a primacy to hope. What about to faith? The primacy of faith. And uh, whose turn is it to go first? Uh, Father Nagels. Father Nagels. That was, you just tossed <laughs> that him quick. that, you just that lobbed quick. it right over to him. That's good. And that would be the hardest one for me in terms, and then I approach these in terms of um, the, um, the, the non-faithful person in society today, so to speak. Um, so trying the entrance way in. And so that, for me, it's it's challenging to think. Okay, what, what? I I, I don't know. Maybe it's the the gift of uh, it, the giftedness, the, the nature of gift of belief, um, in some ways. And what do you believe in? And where did I? So I'm not sure exactly how I started off with somebody. To be honest, I can throw out a couple of things okay. if you'd like, Father Luce, Do you want to say something first? No, I'm where he is. I mean, okay. I don't know where it would be primary. Yeah. So, um, so there's a I, the um, so the act of faith has the, these um, the content of faith. Three things, right? It has the um, uh, I believe that God exists and is provident. I believe content about God, creatore deum, creatore deo, and then creatore indium. I believe in God. That radical act of entrustment. And um, I would say that the first is a matter of saying that. Well, we begin our life of faith with the response to the kerygma, and the response is repenting and believing, right? So there's a way in which we uh, make that the first—it has a primacy in faith, hope, and love, because until you believe, and baptism is this uh, sacrament of faith, it, it grants us this entry into this new reality that we're children of God. But I would point to the deepest level, which is trust. Mm -hmm. And if you liked, Father Lewis, the fact that I, I referenced the liberation theologians, you're going to love that I'm going to reference Hans Kung. Oh, you're like, what, That's is, all the time we have what is going on? <laughs> so Hans Kung, did you ever read his book, Does God Exist? It's like I... 900 pages long. Yeah. And he goes into <laughs> all of the philosophical and religious arguments for God's existence and tackles them all. 
And at the end, the big ta-da is that he says that the, the basis in human nature for believing in God's existence, that it's like etched into human nature, is what? It's that existence is trustworthy. That everything doesn't mean nothing. Right. That etched into the, the the core of the human being is this sense that everything means something, and therefore I can trust in existence. And there, and then he builds off of that. Now it's kind of a like a very rudimentary beginning. But how often have we talked about on this program? Faith is primary. I mean, uh, faith as radical trust. That's right. a John Paul II thing is the counterpoint to the suspicion mm -hmm. that people have that everything means nothing. So it's not the same as despair, but it's more meaninglessness. There's no purpose to this whole thing. So it's allied, I think, to despair, but different. And so when we can approach uh, others and say that um, the fundamental way that you'll come to know in the goodness of God, the love of God, and you can gain hope, is to trust. That if you can entrust what it is you're going to into God's hands, on the other side of that radical act of entrustment, you'll come to a sense of knowing who God is and knowing all those other things. Well, so think, that, there's my entry point. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Father. I, you brought something that I think it's the shadow side of the Trinity. Um, you mentioned, though they're related, meaninglessness and despair. I would say they're very related. Um, there may be different entrance way into nothingness, but they are, um, they're, they're all different sides of the same issue, just like the faith, hope, and, and, and love are. So I think there's something to be said about that, this idea of, but I agree with you in terms of the trust. And I think you could look into people and say, who, do you, who or what do you trust without being able to fully check on this thing? You know, do, what, who, to whom and what do you believe in and trust? Trust is probably better than believed in. Because we, we do. Everybody has to trust somebody or, or we're, we're, we're doomed. We're paralyzed. Right. We can't, again, that's the, the shadow side. Is, it's the flip side. Is it we all have to find somebody to trust. It may not be God. It may not be the church. It may not be whatever. And I think that's part of the situation of our society today. We have this radical breakdown in trust of one another, the institutions, et cetera. It's just the shadow side of what's happening, I think, in terms of that, that um, we have, we have a, a faith crisis among atheists today, I would say, in that sense. Um, but it, even though they don't believe in God, so to speak, um, we have problems believing in anything and trusting in anything. Oh, well, we'll be but, back in a minute with that beautiful, encouraging message of Father Nagel. But, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we are up against a break. When we come back, Father Lewis is going to, who's pondering very deeply here, he's going to offer some profound insight in just a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with Father Nagel and Father Lewis. And we're talking about faith as what is primary in the life of faith, as faith, hope, and love. We've talked about love, talked about hope, faith, faith as trust. What are you thinking, Father Lewis? Well, I'm thinking it still makes faith, at least in my conception, the most difficult of the three. As an, um, I keep thinking of this whole conversation in terms of how to reach someone in an evangelical zeal to try to bring them closer to Christ. And faith, uh, after all this, continues to be the most difficult of the three because if faith, you know, we're equating, equating trust to that, <clears throat> that is that is quite a tall order, and that is an action and a response to something that presumes there's already something there. Why would I trust you if I didn't even know you? Um, and knowing is an aspect of love, so I still think that love is, even the seed of love is still a bit uh, primary, and then faith is the action that that is the first first action, I guess, in response. I just, uh, I'm having a hard time conceiving, I guess, how faith would be the primary mover uh, in this cycle of the three, uh, with uh, with a lot of folks in terms of trying to bring them closer to Christ, um, I would so. say two things. One is uh, you talk to some of these like uh, young folks today, Generation Z people. They're like, why why isn't it the case that we're living in a simulation? Have you bumped into that? And uh, the so, Matrix. Yeah, like yeah, we're living in the Matrix. We're living in a simulation. You're part of my simulation, or I'm part of yours, or whatever. And and the idea is that well, you can't trust reality. 
right? So that's, it's not that they're despairing. It's that they're suspicious. Yeah. And so they radically doubt. That's a scientific attitude rather than the personal knowing, which is you give yourself over to something, you immerse yourself in it, and that's how you really know it. So it's really drawing upon that aspect of human experience that says if you don't really entrust yourself to the world around you, guess what? You won't get into any car. You can't eat any canned goods. You can't eat really any food that you don't grow yourself because you can't trust. Mm -hmm. So to realize the levels at which the life you're living is already based on, it's banking on, levels and layers of trust that when you acknowledge them, you'll say, oh, okay, well, you're actually right. Well, then from there, you can say, are you willing to open yourself and trust that there is a God who will show himself to you in a way that you can know that it's really him and that you can entrust what you're going through into his hands. Okay. Yeah. When you couch like that, that, that definitely makes sense. And Father Nagel, you said something earlier about that, that uh, we, there is a crisis of faith because people increasingly are believing in, in nothing uh, that didn't used to be the way. You know, Why do I know that the earth is round? I've never been to space. How do I know that I was in space? It could have been a simulation. I'm just going to trust people who seem to know better than I that this is the case and just uh, and just go with it um so yeah we you know in a very practical way we do live just uh on the default of of faith we most people may not call it that but we but they do they do call it trust like you say okay i'm going to trust this authority here how many times were we told during covid to trust the science right you know mm-hmm. so it reminds me of newman's luminous sense of how does he know that england is an island He's never been all the way around in a boat or anything, but he trusted his. Um, I just remember that as, you know, you said, how do we know the earth is round, uh, round et cetera. There is that I sense. We, eventually, we do have to trust some authority outside of ourselves or we're paralyzed, as Tom says. Yeah, and it's funny. Augustine, he considered the argument from authority stronger than scientific argumentation. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, if you have to suffer for that, okay, fine. But, you know, you're really trusting an authority and is 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 the deeper, more solid uh, uh, cre- uh, source of credibility for a belief. Well, believe it or not, we're up against the end of our time. But you hope for more time. But I love being with you all. Did you like how I just kind of woke up? Yes, in, that's beautiful. All right, we are up against the end of our time. Thank you so much for being with me today. Join me tomorrow for more sound insight.